Hey everyone, welcome to episode 157 of the MTG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. How's it going? Pretty good, what about you? Not bad, just been chilling, playing some magic, cleaning my room. Well, I did half of that. You didn't clean your room? I did not clean my room. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got a bunch of new formats, had to spend some amount of time playing magic since... Half of Magic got completely turned on its head a week ago. Yeah. Watched a bunch of Magic over the weekend and stuff. Watched SCG. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that there were also the uh, showcase events on Moto as well. So I watched the Modern one and some of the Pioneer one. Okay. Modern, not too relevant, but I I played Pioneer this weekend and there was a lot. We'll we'll get into it later, but there was a lot of, a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, do we just kind of want to jump in format by format? Yeah, I mean, what do you want to start with? Uh, I We can just sort of start with standard and go on. Sure. I watched, you know, most of the SCG thing. I played a bunch of ladder. So, yeah, green-blue decks are still by far the best thing going in standard. Who would have predicted that? Yeah. I think the first word out of my mouth after all those bans were... Huh, I wonder what the best Uro deck is now. Yeah, and, you know, if you look at these numbers and stuff, look at, like, the SCG qualifier, Uro was in 50.45% of the decks. It's not just one deck either. Right. It's just a bunch of different Uro decks, but one of the decks does have a large, like, overrepresentation in my eyes, the the Sultai deck. Yeah. It was a huge portion of uh, some of the SCG qualifiers. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. How did it do in the the actual the big qualifier? Uh, it actually it did quite well. Let's see. I'll pull that up. It is just kind of throughout all of the results. Uh, heavily played and did pretty well. And if you look at, we also have the uh, Red Bull Untapped qualifier that happened this weekend as well, mm-hmm. and it had a really good conversion rate in that one too. So certainly, as far as like week one goes, the Sultai Ramp deck that is. You know, Gross Spirals get replaced with Hand Disruption, because you have to do something on two. And uh, then you get... There's a couple of different ways to build it. Some people have Lenore Visionary, some people have Cultivate, but then other than that, it is Nissa's Uros, Hydroid Crisis, a couple of Casualties of War, and Extinction Event is a huge addition to it that makes it an actually good deck, where otherwise... Yeah, last week we were complaining about all the Soul Tide decks having no interaction at all, yeah. outside of some agonizing remorses. So, and everyone was just trying to go super greedy over the top. Yeah, and just have casualties of war hopefully make up for everything, which it can't do. It's a doom blade. Yeah. If your opponent's attacking you with creatures, it's a six mana doom blade. Right. It's it's necessary now because of the amount of Sultai ramp in the metagame, but it can't be your your sort of catch all. Despite it listing all of the permanent types, it can't be your like catch all solve everything sort of thing. Like no amount of casualties of war. Like, Uro just undoes that if you're not catching up Planeswalker. Yeah, and Casualties of War cannot take out Uro, but Extinction Event can. Permanently. Uh, permanently, sure, yeah. yeah. You can always tag Casualty yeah. uh, Casual War, but Uro is very hardy. He comes back really easily. Although, this deck is not fantastic at filling its graveyard, so sometimes tagging an Uro into the graveyard buys you a, a fair bit of time against... You know, to get your own Uro into play, at least. Yeah, and that changes based on the cards you draw, too. Like, some hands are a lot better at filling up the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Usually those with Thought Erasure or Teferi Master of Time, if you're playing that. Yeah. 
Uh, otherwise, you're kind of just hoping not to draw your casualties of war if you want to buy back your Uro, because you need to cast your spells and have them go to the graveyard, and you just yeah. can't cast that many casualties of war that fast enough. Yeah, and I, I like this list. Uh, Tangrams played in the qualifier. He made top eight. I think he lost in the semis. He did, yeah. He... You know, his deck is a lot more streamlined than some of the other lists that I've seen. He doesn't have any main deck Narsets or anything. The only ramp in his deck is Uro and one Cultivate. And he's only running two Casualties of War main deck. But a lot of cheap interaction. Two Eliminates, three Heartless Acts in addition to the Hand Disruption. And he's got two Ether Gust main deck, which I think makes a lot of sense. And uh, two Teferi, Master of Time, to sort of bridge to the Nyssa Hydrid Crisis endgame. And I think Teferi is fantastic in these decks. It doesn't get hit with Aether Gust. It like fills a spot in the curve that's kind you don't you don't have good assertive stuff to do at four otherwise. Yeah. And uh it fills your graveyard for Uro. And it's an interactions piece that isn't designed to be one. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you draw so many removal spells you're kinda in this loop where you're not doing anything. You're just answering your opponent's stuff. Yeah. Like if you, and trying to draw a Planeswalker. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Teferi is kind of an interaction piece in that it can phase something out to buy you turns. Mm-hmm. But it also digs you closer to your answers while right. filling up your graveyard. And often you phase something out and the next turn you've got an, not just a Teferi, but an Uro and a Teferi in play. Right. And then the thing that they had doesn't really matter anymore. I also think that Teferi is really good when you're playing a higher amount of interaction because at some point you don't want those. You cheap, get to ditch them. Yeah. So I, I really like Tangram's list here, and I particularly appreciate the no main deck Narset. I, I just, like, don't understand how so many of these Salty, salty decks are just running main deck Narsets in them. I think they really want to be prepared for Mirrors, because it is good against Hydroid Crisis and somewhat against, I guess it's mostly just Hydroid Crisis. So the problem is that there's so few, there's a lot of spots where you just can't cast do it right if you're on the draw and they go uro on turn three and just put a land into play put the uro in their graveyard like you can't cast narset they're just gonna play a nissa like you you, like narset is just so awful on the draw and then on the play like i guess but you would much rather be casting a ramp spell on turn three and it, it if it is going to be good it is likely to get caught by the hand disruption and I mean, I guess drawing it later is probably okay. Like that's where you want it, but it just does not seem like where you want to be. One thing I appreciate about Tangram's list is that there's a Ketria Triome hanging out there in the mana base. There's mm-hmm. no red spells this entire 75. Right. So it's just a cycling land. I wonder how many other decks adopted the off-color splash cycling land instead of like a temple. Mm-hmm. Just have an extra card in your graveyard for Uro or an extra getting to a card faster immediately because you certainly have so much mana with nissa around right well and it's also probably in part a concession to nissa the more like pseudo breeding pools you have the more often you can go nissa on top of land have a two mana spell up and you know in a deck with this many two mana spells that's that's actually really really good ketria triumph though cannot cast the black two mana spells off of it but i mean this deck, I guess, doesn't really have a problem with that because you've got Zagoth, Triome, Overgrown Tomb, and Breeding Pool. Um, this is just an additional Breeding Pool for when you want to hold up either Gust or Negate. Yeah, I did a little cursory check of the other Soul Ramp decks, the, just going down by record. 
none of the ones I opened had an off-color splash on. They were all playing just a random temple. Mm-hmm. So having an extra Nissal land that cycles, I, I really like. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm into it. I think it's probably, like, in some amount of situations, the temple is better. In some amount of situations, the cycling land is better. Well, tempers are almost always better early, mm-hmm. and cycling lands are almost always better late. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. So if the ga- if you expect the games to tend towards late, and you don't need the help early to assemble your mana or your interaction, mm-hmm. you'd want a triangle. Sure, I could see that. We also saw the return of Enter the God Eternals to Standard. This oh. card has not been cast for, like, over a year, I think. Was it even really cast that much previously no but it was like a fine sideboard card against the aggressive decks it was like fairly good against gruel and very good against mono red back when like you know back when experimental frenzy was playable oh, too. i like that card yeah <laughs> uh yeah so that card is uh actually you're allowed to cast it again against the aggressive decks which there are some but not a lot man it's mostly mono red from what i've seen in yeah. these qualifiers and in ladder there's a lot of mono red nowadays though granted in the qualifier we were watching sandy dog mm-hmm. and he is a mono red master yes so hard to compete with that kind of you know, caliber expecting all of your mono red opponents to be sandy dog right he's making up a lot of percentage points that other people don't get because he's put in many times as many hours with mono red decks as anybody else uh so i just pulled up the red bull untapped day one to day two conversion rate list Mm -hmm. it it is i mean you know numbers like this always you have to take with a grain of salt because the sample size is very small but you know mono red aggro was the third most played deck in their field and it did not have a successful day one i mean slightly over 50 percent win rate but somehow was not able to nobody was able to put those wins together themselves and so only two of the 78 mono red decks made it to day two. Oh, wow. That's really rough. How yeah. many? There are only 64 people on day two? Yeah. Oof. And the next best, or the next aggro deck I see on this list is mono green aggro and then Mardu Winota. Mm-hmm. I have not seen very much mono green aggro at all. There's no team or reclamation to prey on anymore, which is what that deck wanted to play against. Yeah, I just, I don't think that mono green is where you want to be if you're being aggressive. The whole point is that it was good against team or reclamation and that's just not here anymore the the builds of mono green that i've seen that i think are closer are a little bit more rampy and they are more paradise druid nissa decks with you know questing beasts and other like sort of aggressive creatures i don't know exactly how they are built but generally just like nissa is fantastic so I, I imagine Llanowar Emissary or Visionary. Yeah. Llanowar Visionary makes, it, makes its way into some of these decks. Well, so some of them are here. Let me see if I can pull up an example list of what I'm talking about. Kind of maybe maybe just as a body you can use with um, Vivian as well as get you closer to Nessa. Yeah, this is this is not that. So we're having a hard time finding a mono green. Yeah. Deck, which is not a good sign. No, I, and I think generally like you just don't want to be a mono green. It's not flexible enough. It's just bad against Sultai. Like, Extinction Event is going to wreck you. Well, remember the... And this was in Pioneer. But there was an SCG Open where we had to vote for the quarterfinalists. And Inverter was like six of the top eight decks. Mm-hmm. So we voted for the non-Inverter Mirror. Yeah. And it was Mono Green versus Blue White Control, yeah. if I recall correctly. And it just looked... It, it was ridiculous. It plays out the same in Standard. You just play your creatures that are really good rate, kills your opponents really quickly. 
and your opponent interacts with you two times and you lose. Mm-hmm. You just can't. You, you're playing monogre. You don't have the things you need to catch up. Right. And in that format, the thing that the the control deck had that made the game unwinnable was it landed a Teferi. Teferi didn't die. And then it just had way too many cards. And in this format, it is Uro, which is Teferi, except it's also just a 6-6 six, six and gains you a bunch of life. So n- not ideal positioning for the mono green deck if there's an interactive deck with interaction that's good against the mono green deck is hand disruption not the best but builds like tangram's list that just have a bunch of main deck interaction including main deck either gusts and then make an uro and what how, how do you ever beat that well i think the real problem with the mono green decks is that you run out of things to do really quickly mm-hmm uh, I've seen a lot of games with Mono Green where they play the board, opponent interacts with them, and the opponent's quite low at this point because the creatures are very large. But you're like you've drawn one too many forests, or you drew a two drop or a pelt collector at the wrong time, and yeah. you're you're not doing anything with it. You can't make it better than it is off the top of your deck, so you just end up losing ground by having your cards not scale. Yeah, you skip a turn at some point. And whenever you're, if you do apply pressure every turn, just push, 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 then you will win. But if you have a draw step that's not kind to you, that's often enough. And there's no like tireless trackers in this format where you can accrue cards while being proactive. Mm-hmm. These mono green decks don't have anything like that. The closest you get is Vivian or mm-hmm. Quo Ranger, which you have to take a bunch of turns off to even get a creature from. Right. And it's mostly. It's pump card. Right. It, it's very good. And it is giving you sort of virtual card advantage as long as you have bodies in play. It's giving you haste damage. Well, the problem is when you don't have bodies in play. Right. And it's a you, pretty medium blank. It's just a plus two plus two to the next creature you draw. But if you draw a forest, Vivian dies pretty quickly. And then, you, you know. Yeah. The, the thing that the green decks, the mono green deck really has going for it is scavenging ooze. Like that card is very good and stops one of the best tools against it. And I've been playing personally, I've been playing a lot of uh, Simic adventures and we'll talk about sort of your options. If you want to play an adventure deck and and how those, the positioning of those decks in the metagame, but I definitely have lost a game or two that I didn't think that I would because scavenging ooze comes down and wrecks my Uro plan. So that, that it is a real thing, but the rest of the Sultai deck is also just like pretty good against the green creatures between yeah. Extinction Event and two mana removal spells. Mm-hmm. So, can we talk about Rakdos Sacrifice real quick? Yeah, because this is a deck that when the ban list was announced and I saw Cauldron Familiar was on there, I thought it was really really odd. I think I might have said it on the podcast why they didn't just ban Mayhem Devil if they didn't want if they wanted to get rid of the Sacrifice deck. Well, but these decks aren't running Mayhem Devil anyways, so... And I was fool. <laughs> you didn't even need Mayhem Devil. No, I mean, Mayhem Devil definitely is at its best when you have Cat Oven going. Yeah. You only get to sacrifice so many times when you're not just getting three, two sacrifices in a turn cycle. That's so, true. The way that these decks are built, they're reasonably more aggressive. They all have a bunch of Dreadhorde Butchers in them, and... They've gotten rid of Oven entirely. Not super great without Cat. Once you don't have Mayhem Devil anymore, there's really no reason not to be a Lurus deck. There's no threes that you want other than Mayhem Devil. And so that's kind of what they are. Just like sort of the things you would expect. Archfiend's Vessel, great with Lurus. Gutter Bones, a one drop. That's 
I guess. That's what you got it, it, to. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, and then Dreadhood Butcher, Fiend Artisan, Kroxa, Meyer Tritons, and Priest of Forgotten Gods. It's the deck you would expect to see when Lurus was just printed, mm-hmm. and you could still fully power cast it on turn three. Yeah. It's really similar to those decks, because you can have the new corset cards. Uh, Village Rites being one of the better ones. Yeah. Just a one-mana draw to sack a creature. And Archfiend's Vessel, which makes, I believe, demons when it, you cast it from the graveyard. Yes, yes. It turns into a 5-5 black demon creature with flying. With flying, yeah. And it's nothing nothing quite like cheating your Lurus requirement, but just getting five five flyers. <laughs> I can't believe that this was intended to be in standard with regular Lurus with no <laughs> tax on it. Oh, with Village Rites in the same set. Because it looked really good when I saw it on camera. Like, Archfiend's Vessel just looked like a thing that was really tying this deck together. Yeah. You could also sack it early because it's not good in play. It's only good when you cast it from the graveyard. Right. And so you can get it back with either Lurus or Call of the Death Dweller. Like, I had an opponent go turn two, Mire Triton, Mill Priest of Forgotten Gods, and an Archfiend's Vessel, oh, wow. and then just bring them back turn three with Call of the Death Dweller. I did not win that game. That's a that's a pretty good one. It wasn't bad. It was pretty solid. Yeah, this deck has impressed me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting... I was expecting a, a sacrifice deck with the Mayhem Devil, but now that we don't get that anymore... It's nice to see that there's still, like, the sacrifice engine stuff going on. Because mm-hmm. I think this deck is... Since your aggro decks are struggling, you know, we just talked about it didn't have that great a win rate. Yeah. It's nice to see that there is some not quite aggressive deck, but proactive deck that you can look towards. For sure. And it is strong. And, like, if you're playing Sultai and you are playing the version with hand disruption and two pieces of two mana interaction and like narsets and more top end because early in this standard format i was playing against sultai decks where like my opponent like played a cavalier of thorns and then milled three different five mana cards into their graveyard like if you're doing that nonsense like you will absolutely die to this deck yep people back then didn't know what heartless act was so (laughs) i think we've learned since yeah, and I mean, if you look at, like, Tangram's list, he's running a couple Heartless Acts and a couple of Eliminates in there. Like, the two-mana removal is... It's about as good of two-mana removal as we've seen in a long time, and we're finally in a format where, like, you get to play these good two-mana removal spells. Yeah, so. Heart- Heartless Act is basically the best two-mana removal spell since Go for the Throat, which was played all over the place when it was in Standard. Mm-hmm. Despite there being some number of artifact creatures in that Standard. It was mostly just Worm Coil Engine. Yeah, it was mostly Worm Coil Engine. <laughs> What other decks do you want to talk about? Let's see. Well, so, yeah, the Sultai deck and the Sacrifice deck are, like, kind of two of the big ones. Well, I think Teamer Adventures is also... Yeah, and so we should definitely talk about Adventures generally. Teamer Adventures is fine. It used to, you know, God, a year ago, I guess? Like, when Eldraine first came out, and... I think it was actually when Theros Beyond Death just came out. Because Eldraine was Oko-dominated for a Yeah, I guess that's true. And then you had blue-white control takeover when Theros Beyond Death got mm-hmm. Birth of Miletus and Elspeth Conquers Death. Right. So that's when... And then Adventures really shown because you can't, could never win against no. Adventures with, with blue-white control. No, your card advantage engines cost four or five mana, or six mana with Dream Trawler. Yeah. And Edgewell Keeper and Just Lucky Clover beat you. cost one and two. <laughs> right. Your your answers to stuff was like, bounce it with Teferi. It's not going to work. Yeah. So... There was a period in Standard where Teamer Adventures 
actually battled against Sultai type decks. Uh, those played out pretty differently from the current matchup for a couple of reasons. I mean, I, basically the two reasons are Uro and Extinction Event. It's mostly Extinction Event, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> Extinction Event gives you like a powerful removal spell that is often just a Plague Wind type. Everything is odd. In yeah, the... every single creature that deck plays, except for Fae of Wishes, I guess, right, but is odd. You can leave them with a 1-4. You'll be fine. Right. I'm pretty sure your Sultai deck can beat a 1-4 flyer. Yes. That really wants to not be in play. <laughs> Yeah, it gets the Innkeeper, it gets the Beanstalk Giant, and it gets all of the three-mana adventure guys. Yep, Brazen Borrower, Lovestruck Beast, and Bone giant. Crusher Giant. Yeah, um, yeah so, so that is really huge. But I think Uro actually does matter reasonably significantly, because one of the ways that that matchup used to play out uh, was that you would get in some chip damage, and they would eventually deal with your creatures, and they'd gain a little bit of life off of, like, Hydroid Crisis, but you would still be able to put together, like, Beanstalk Giant Stomp. Like, you would use Clover as your engine because they didn't interact with that very well. They interacted with your creatures pretty well, and then you'd eventually... Not stop, uh... Fling. You'd eventually fling a Beanstalk Giant at mm -hmm. them. But if they gain 9, 12, 15 life off of Uro, your Beanstalk Giant isn't that big. Right, yeah. So you then you'd need to cobble together the Beanstalk Fling Expansion Explosion, which That's... is just an extra step. You need another Clover right. or another Fae of Wishes. It's just a little too much, when, especially because they're just interacting. At any point, they can draw Extinction Event, and your board's just gone. Right. And the Extinction Event, like, leaves their Nissa Lands and Hydroid Crisis in play. Yeah. So... You, you die very quickly. Yeah, you die pretty quickly. Because usually, these boards end up with like you have some guys they have a nissa out and some lands like if they don't just have the hydroid crisis to like really or they do hydroid crisis but you like have a sort of locked up board and then eventually they just extinction event you and you know attack for nine or twelve the the answer to that out of the team or adventure deck is trying to be ugin but that doesn't work against nissa lands mm -hmm. so i i found the matchup really comes down to basically extinction event and nissa yeah. Those being the most important cards out of Sultai. And Nissa is weirdly difficult for the Adventures deck to address. Yeah, you can't really bounce with Brazen Borrower yeah. <laughs> effectively. You can't interact with the lands at all. Yeah. It does Lovestruck Beast stops the lands from attacking you, but that only works to a certain point. Right. It's still a mana doubler. <laughs> yeah, you're you're still gonna be facing down attended hydro races in a couple turns, if not right. the next turn. Right. So I have found, I've been playing a lot of Simic Adventures rather than Teamer. It just suits my playstyle a little bit better. Uh, you've kind of, ultimately, all it is is that you have replaced Escape to the Wilds with Uro is the biggest <laughs> difference between the two decks. But you just generally are a little bit more combo-y, sort of, more synergy-based, you were leading pretty hard into the Fae of Wishes plan generally, and a lot of games you mill yourself and wish for a Jace and win the game that way. Um, and so I've stolen a fair amount of games that way, where just like I got to ignore most of the stuff that my Sultai opponent was doing in favor of just milling myself and doing that. And uh, having Uro as a pretty legit threat against them. It does still get Extinction Evented. It does, but... But it can 
you can put it forward as a solo threat as your instance and stuff like tempo their stuff out because their stuff their stuff that matters is really expensive so every ether gust you draw is incredibly valuable and uh yeah i mean i just have found that to be a little bit stronger against them it's still not an ideal matchup which is kind of a problem for the simic adventures deck because like the point of it is that you should be outvaluing and beating up on the mid-range and controlling decks and that some of the aggressive decks can be kind of hard because your best tools against them are like o fours and getting lucky so well that's uh, why you're playing lucky clover right? yes oh yes it gives you extra luck and yeah and by luck i mean lands and if you just you never lose a game where you go clover into beanstalk giant you just like always win those games Though, one of the weird things with the Simic deck, even compared to the Teamer one, is that the mana is worse somehow. It's mo- I, I think it's just that Uro is difficult. It's it's because you're playing a lot of basics for Beanstalk Giant, yeah. and you constantly need to cast a double blue spells, and sometimes green, as in the same turn. Yeah. It's... Yeah. It, it's <laughs> just... It is weird how like bad the mana... Like, you have nine lands out, and you're like, shit, I really should have fetched an island instead of that forest. Yeah, because you're, you're staring at, like... Five fourths a breeding pool and four islands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is really fun to play though. It is oh, my, like my favorite deck to play in standard. So recommend trying it for sure. What do you think about Mardu Winota? It's okay. That's how I feel about it. It's kind of just a holdover from the last pro tour or players tour. Yeah. That's kind of what I think. I, I I agree. I think it's in a similar spot to Mono Green. I don't think a single card has changed from that deck since Michael Jacob played it a few weekends ago. <laughs> and people are just like kind of playing it. Marty, or Winota is a strong card. It, when it does its thing, it's good. But it's just people are doing different things than they were. They're not just... Sometimes they just Heartless Act your Winota when it resolves and before you attack... And then your board is just a Woostrider and maybe a Knight of the Oven Legion. <laughs> yeah. You're like, wait, what? What? Right. This didn't happen yesterday. And Woostrider is the most just two bodies <laughs> that it ever, it, like, yeah. It, it's so weird how it's has so many, like, neat and powerful and incredible synergies in the Sacrifice deck. And in this deck, it's a 3-2 and an 0-1. And you can't afford... Like, sometimes you could get there with mediocre creature beatdowns if the Reclamation deck stumbled for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. Uh, You you could, like, kind of cross the finish line without actual Mardu or Winota Mm -hmm. attack. Mm -hmm. But now that everyone's playing Nyssa and, like, Elementals and random adventure creatures... The boards are just so much more cluttered. Yeah. And your raise the alarm tokens and your goat are not going to cross the finish line. Yeah. I mean, on the play, sometimes your venerated Loxodon draws can get there because that card is pretty bonkers too. Yeah. But, you know, if you're playing against a build like Tangrams of, of Sultai that just has that early interaction and then knows what it's about in the mid and late game with just four Nissa, four Hydrocrasis, and four Uro, like, that's really tough. Yeah, if they, you just need an attack in with Winota. If you do, you're in really good spot. Yeah, Winota is extremely strong. Right, but if you don't, you're gonna lose. Yeah, I mean, and she does not die to eliminate. So if your opponent draws like the wrong parts of their interaction, you can get them. But if you draw the wrong parts of your deck, you just have like selfless saviors and raise the alarms and Lazatep reavers. And if people start adopting Tangrams to Fairy Master of Time, that's another 
thing mm-hmm. that gets rid of Winota for a turn. Yeah. Letting you extinction event her. Well, okay, so the awkward thing about Teferi and Winota mm-hmm. is that you... Oh, you can't extinction event her. Right? right, you phase her out, and then she's still phased out when it's your turn. So when you phase something out on attacks, like, you can't phase something out on attacks and then wrath them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like all that. But it is a thing that makes it that much hard. Like, if you phase her out and then you kill the rest of their stuff on your turn... It's more or less the same thing. It's pretty much the same thing. So, yeah, and nah, I just... Like, this aggro deck that plays, like, two temples and four triumphs, and it is not exactly where I want to be. Two fable passages. Well, the worst is when you draw the castle in Breath. Because it's, like, kind of good in the deck. It swings a lot of combats. Mm-hmm. But you never want to draw it. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to have it. You don't have very many <laughs> mountains in your yeah, deck. It's your survive triumphs. <laughs> yeah, you have... Yeah, Blood Crypts, Sacred Foundries, Sacred Foundries, Survive Trials. 12, 12 mountains oh. right there. It's like, and one basic mountain and two Fable Passages. Like, that's a decent number. It's not great, Look, Let me tell you about the hands where you have, like, a Survive Trial, a Shockland, a Fable Passage, <laughs> and, a, and a Castle Emperor. <laughs> the deck is certainly doing something, like, fundamentally kind of broken, but if your opponent is prepared for the broken stuff, you are playing a lot of enabler cards for it. Yeah. And that was fine, in a format where you were targeting a deck that had a hard time, inter- like, was built for the mirror, so it had a hard time interacting with you on your early creatures. But in this format where people are kind of ready for that stuff, it's... Uh, that's a really hard sell for me. Yeah, I I don't know if you want to... I think this is probably the best aggressive deck, because there's not that many options, though the Dreadhorde Butcher Luris deck... Is probably what you want to do if you would be tending towards this Mardu deck. Yes. I, while watching the Star City Qualifier, I did see one player playing against Sultai give up the turn to Dreadhood Butcher on the play in order to duress their opponent. And I just would like to beg everyone to not do that. Dreadhood Butcher needs to be attacking like as soon as possible for it to be a playable card. And. There's no two that, like, really matters that you duress out of your opponent's hand. Like, if you skip a turn of playing a good creature to duress and you get a removal spell, that is exactly like they just cast that removal spell, except that they got to cast it for zero mana. Yeah. So. And one of the neat things about Dreadhorde Butcher is that while it can be eliminated, it does damage to them anyway. Yeah. And it can't be Heartless Act if it connects. Like, they can remove a counter from it. That doesn't. But they're not going right. to want to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, so if you're on the... Like, seriously, the Sultai deck does not like getting hit on the draw by the turn to Dreadhorde Butcher, so get that going if you can. Like, the card is not that good. You have to make it good when you draw it. Um, other standard stuff... I mean, I guess we just talked about pretty much all, the all of the decks. Like, yeah, it, it's, it hasn't changed... It feels weird to say it hasn't changed that much, because we did just have, like... 30 bands, I think, is what it was. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. I mean, it hasn't changed from what we kind of, like, anticipated the standard format yeah. starting to become. Once you... They've printed so many absurdly strong cards in the last year that even after banning half of them, you still know what the other, you know, 10 strongest cards are in standard. Sure. Nissa... And you just gravitate towards those. Nissa and Neuro, mostly. Yeah. Uh, the Elementals deck is pretty cool, too. And this... Yeoman 5 list that runs Gilded Goose 
in order to have a, a one drop, I think is probably the build that I'm into the most. Yeah, I I really like these teamer decks. They're kind of like they remind me of the wilderness reclamation decks, kind of. <laughs> They're just all creatures. Because you really just want to set up an engine with Risen Reef or Omnath mm-hmm. or Terror of the Peaks. Those are kind of like your three flag post cards. Yeah. And you just kind of go off with any of those creatures in play. Especially Terror of the Peaks. You kill them so fast. And that's why there's so many Genesis Ultimatas in this deck. Because all your creatures are like generating some mana. Yeah. And then they do stuff when they go into play. So the Genesis Ultimatum is kind of like a kind of like a cruel ultimatum from a long time ago where it just mostly kills your opponent after you resolve it. Yeah. I mean if you hit a Terror of the Peaks and stuff, you yeah, probably dead. like Terror of the Peaks and an Omnath and a Cavalier is just like lethal damage pretty much. One thing I don't like about this deck is that it's really vulnerable to extinction event. Mm-hmm. Most of the good cards are odds in this deck. The only even is Omnath. Leaf Kindred. Oh, the threat Leaf Kindred. Well, yeah. <laughs> but at least you got mana to help maybe you can, you know, if they extinction event and you're like Land seven, Genesis Ultimatum. Yeah, you can catch up. That's one one of the good things about Genesis Ultimatum. But the Sultai deck's not messing around. No. They they're extinction event, they probably have an S seven land in play. And the problem with Genesis Ultimatum is that the threats the big stuff out of the Sultai deck is all stuff that gets hit with the same stuff that hits Genesis Ultimatum. So everybody's bringing Ether Gusts and Negates anyways. Yeah. And, uh... Well, Disdainful Stroke, too. Yeah, or Disdainful Stroke. And Disdainful Stroke in particular is good against this deck. Negate only hits the Genesis Ultimatum, so that's kind of a sketcher to bring in. Yeah, if you're in a Genesis Ultimatum deck, as this one is, you're pretty much all permanents. Yes. The only card you're ever going to draw with Genesis Ultimatum is going to be Genesis Ultimatum. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> that's maybe a cycling land. Oh, sure, sure. And, of course, this is also just an Uro deck. Well, of course. It's not that great of an Uro deck, because, like, as I said, you just, you're all permanents. So, unless you, you have Cavalier... Right, but you have four Cavaliers and yeah. Genesis Ultimatums to hit them. Oh, it's more or less your deck Because yeah. you really want to get your land drops and your creatures in play, and Uro just helps you with all that. Right. And it's the only Explorer left in the format. So, yeah, <laughs> it being a good card, and it also free with Cavalier of Thorns... Mm-hmm. Makes it a good inclusion, even if it's not, like, the best Uro deck. Yep. Either Gust is definitely gross against this deck. Yeah. It's pretty gross against a lot of decks, and I just encourage you to have four in your 75. Ooh, four. The full four. The full four. Okay. It's, uh, most of my games that I play against Sultai come down to, like, whether or not I have an Either Gust. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of Uros been Aether Gusted mm-hmm. at random intervals just to break up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If they spend their turn casting the Uro and you can, they like get rid of their graveyard and you deny them the draw, deny them the Uro, put like, if they put it on top, like they might be like really screwing up their next turn. Yeah. Aethergust is very good right now, but mostly because the format's mostly blue green. Yeah. I mean, you need something to fight these things with. Aethergust and Mystic Dispute? Sign me up. That's what I've been doing for the past year. Dispute, honestly, (laughs) not. At not that great right now. I mean, obviously, it's, like, still bonkers, and you still run some, but, like, I don't love bringing it in against Sultai. Some decks might want to, but, like, my Adventures build that does not want to bring in Dispute against Sultai. If you're going to fight over Negates with them, then sure, but it's okay right now, but it is not anywhere close to where Aether Gust is. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Story of Aether Gust. Yeah, no. Aether Gust has just been completely bonkers and standard the whole time it's been legal. Yeah, yeah. 
Mostly because the green cards have been really good the whole time it's been legal. Bailiff Summer, they had a ban, so don't yeah. forget about that. Yeah, that one just cost half as much and drew a card. I liked that card. <laughs> yeah. I When I cast it, I felt like I really deserved everything <laughs> that was coming my way. <laughs> Certainly would not be a lot of casualties of war in the format right now. Is that a bad thing? No. Okay. It's probably fine. <laughs> probably actually just to be like mostly improving everybody's decks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any more th- thoughts about Standard? That's, like, everything that I can think of. No, I... Honestly, like, I am pretty comfy continuing to play Simic Adventures. Like, I've just kind of been winning a lot with it. Like, I just... I, I haven't played it in a day or two, so maybe Letter is a little different. But I kind of just went straight up into Diamond, stopped playing it for a little while, picked it back up, like, ranked up in Diamond, and, like had a good record with it and it felt strong and that may be because my soul tie opponents didn't know exactly how to handle it and i just jaced a lot of people to death that didn't <laughs> seem to have a plan around that happening but i don't know it, it the deck feels pretty good to me people's memories aren't very long and that deck was only playable for like two weeks right. previously so you could easily have blunk blinked and missed it you know yeah for sure but i didn't play any standard i was playing pioneer this weekend yeah what's going on in pioneer uh, from what I could tell in the, uh, the games I played, there's just a bunch of Niv-Mizzet and a bunch of Spirits. They're just I all over the leagues. Definitely gathered a bunch of Niv-Mizzet. If we were going to move the format back to a grindy place from a combo place, then can't get a lot grindier than a 5-mana 6-6 six, six flyer that draws 3 or 4 cards. Uh, yeah. The Spirits deck picked up a new card, a couple of new cards, mm-hmm. in uh, Lofty Denial and... What is the... Shacklegeist? No, not Shacklegeist. The well, okay, another one. So the is it like Warden of the Spheres? It's uh, white blue for a two two flyer. Makes your flying creatures cost one less. I haven't actually seen that one. Yeah, so it's not even a spirit. Yeah, I, I I've played against spirits probably I don't know six or seven times this past weekend. Hmm. I have not seen that card yet. Yeah, it's kind of a new pickup, and I'm not sure that everybody is playing it yet. Because it's not a spirit, so it's totally non-obvious. Yeah, and I bet the Bant decks don't even bother with it. Right. Because I think it solves similar problems to what Collected Company does. Collected Company lets you keep up your interaction and then put stuff onto the table. It gives you that like card velocity sort of thing without putting your shields down. This thing, you play it on turn two. The Spirits deck is a is mostly two mana, like one in a white or one in a blue Spirits. Yeah. Yeah. It makes them cost half as much. And so, you know, you can play it on turn two, and then your turn three can be, like, an Empyrean Eagle and a... a Rattlechains. Well, or the <laughs> two-mana one-three Lord. You no. Know, you, you can just straight up play two Lords on turn three, or you can play a two-mana Spirit and hold up Lofty Denial, and you can continue pressuring them and use your mana way more efficiently. It also gets pumped whenever a flying creature comes into play. So it's really kind of like a three-three flyer. It does everything. Yeah, it, it does quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised I haven't seen it now that you've described it, because the card does sound very good for Spirit. <laughs> it is really good. Especially since it still turns on Lofty Denial, which is the biggest pickup for that deck. Huge. It's I thought it was a, it's a two-mana force spike, unless you have a flyer. I thought it was a mana leak, but it is not. No. It is a, it, 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 it attaches you for four. It, it, you're just, you're not resolving. Yeah, thing. if you have a flying creature, it's basically just hard to see counterspell. Yeah, yeah. So the Spirits deck, especially white-blue, has really impressed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's kind of the aggro, like, I guess aggro-tempo deck right now. It's It's got a lot of lords. It really plays out like an aggro deck. Usually they just 
control a couple spells, then play a lord, hit you for half your health total, then untap, then get you for the rest. Yeah. So it's not a true aggro deck because you don't usually die that fast. Right. There's three power of creatures and then there's seven power of creatures and then there's 12 power of creatures. Yeah. Yeah. But you do die. Yeah. And it's so hard to play around all of the different flash creatures and the counter spells because you can't play around Lofty Nile and Spell Queller. It's very difficult, mm-hmm. especially since if you do not play anything and they just play a rattle chains or even just a blank spell queller that's one fewer turn off the clock if they want to untap and play a lord sure so and when everyone's trying to do things like niv mizzet where they're really trying to resolve giant spells mm-hmm. uh spirits can come in and lofty to know that you get one while, spell yeah and... while being able to control the teferi that stops that yeah yeah i mean definitely the single card that is the best against spirits is mystical dispute Yes, like, of course. That's the only way to like buy that tempo back, or else they're kind of just doing stuff. Because everybody's casting three and four and five mana spells, and they're trading for those at a much cheaper rate. And they have mutavolts, so you know that's there's a lot to love there. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> mutavolt doesn't fly. Mutavolt doesn't fly. It doesn't get pumped by Empyrean Eagle. It's very awkward, but it is a powerful magic card. Oh, the uh, let's talk about Nivisa, I guess, before we go on to other random stuff. Sure, probably the most heavily played deck in the format. Yeah, I think it was the finals of the championship. Mm-hmm. And if I miss my guess, it was the, just a mirror. The showcase. Yeah, the showcase. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, and and just did really well in all of the like very early events. It was probably the most heavily played, and certainly was taking up more than its fair share of slots in the top eights and and just winners brackets. Yeah, and I still see slaughter games in these decks. Stop. Stop. Yeah. Take Slaughter Games out of your deck, please. <laughs> it was, like, pretty mediocre when combo decks were very good. And now that combo decks don't exist, there's no reason to play that card. Just find another red-black card. Any other one. <laughs> I guess getting their nibs in the mirror? No. <laughs> I mean, sure. It's not the worst. Right. But you, you could just draw a card that does something, you know? Yeah. Like, if they have a nib in play and you draw Slaughter Games, you feel like a fool. Yeah, it's not great. Just play another Dreadbore if you really want to. Just something. Something that does something. Dreadbore is good. I, yeah. I think most of the lists I've seen are running like four Dreadbores. Wow, that's more than I've seen, but it's not bad. I Maybe it's not most of the list. Maybe it was Nasif's list or something. Yeah, Nasif was playing a ton. <laughs> yeah, Nasif was playing a ton, and I was watching him stream, and it was just good. Like, every time he drew it, pretty much. Yeah. It's just classic Terminate, but Tags Planeswalkers. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, it's just, this is a format where stuff... Now, this is a format where stuff enters the battlefield that you need to kill, and you can still win the game after killing the stuff. Yeah, the board matters a yeah. lot. Like, against the Monarch Green decks, they have good creatures and really good Planeswalkers, Vivian and Karn, sometimes. Mm-hmm. So being able to have the same spell kill a large Voracious Hydra and a Karn on six is very good. Yeah. And it's just like that throughout all the matchups. Having that versatility on a card that will just kill anything is really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's just a really permanent base format, for sure. And, yeah, I mean, we should talk about that mono green deck at some point, too. But uh, probably good to just sort of make our way through the Niv-Mizzet deck. So I I guess I have been paying more attention to Nasif's list than other people's. But most people are playing Yorion versions of the Niv-Mizzet deck, right? I... When I play against Nivisit, most of the time it is not Yorion. Okay, okay. But there are still Yorion decks out there. Mm-hmm. It, it seems fine. There's 
the problem I think with it is a lot you want to be more consistent. Yorion doesn't add a lot of extra oomph that Niv-Mizzet doesn't. Now right. that it's not just a free card, sure. you have to pay a bunch of mana for it. And then you have to have cards in play that do something with it. And Niv-Mizzet doesn't have a ton of those other than Niv-Mizzet itself. <laughs> and once you've got that, you don't really care. You've got so many cards. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you put Oath of Nyssa in your deck if you are running Yorion. And certainly when you draw the Oath of Nyssa and get to Yorion it, that feels good. But yeah, I, I, I can see it not bringing that much to the table and when you really want to draw your teferis in the mirror and you really want to get to uro or you really want to have a mandor on two mm-hmm. you really want to have niv it on four or five with yeah. a disruption spell like it's just useful to have the added consistency instead of deleting your deck with yorian while yorian it can be powerful it just doesn't do that much yeah i mean you do get to not make the cuts that you should make from your Niv-Mizzet deck. Okay, that's true. You can play a lot of four copies of a card. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can fit four Dreadbores into the deck unless you have 80 cards in the deck. Really? <laughs> it's just tough once you... This one we're looking at still has a Slaughter Games in it. <laughs> well, it's an 80-card deck. Oh, yeah. You gotta have that one Slaughter Games in case you hit it off your Niv-Mizzet and then well, spend four mana to cast it. You can bring to light for it. Excuse me? <laughs> That's you're, what you're going to bring to light for? If you really need it. Okay. I don't know what deck you really need it against. <laughs> yeah, that's but... the problem with it. Because, yeah. like, if you're resolving bring to light against your opponent on, like, in the mirror, you probably just put your Niv-Mizzet into play. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because getting the first one of those is pretty good. I don't think playing Yorion is a huge mistake or a huge leak, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like you're getting enough out of it. Yeah. I think these Niv-Mizzet decks have to be built a lot differently if they want to incorporate Yorion and not just throw like four of Nisses and a Knight of Autumn and call it a day. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of all they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely saw some games that Nassif was playing where were like certainly yeah sometimes he was getting tempoed out enough that the game just wasn't about Yorion and it just was never going to be relevant some though like he was playing against blue white control and just having the extra card was very very good i don't that's probably not the case in the mirrors which is way more common of a grindy matchup yeah. and it's probably not the case against sultai so the hard control decks like the the blue based there's blue white there's bant and there's the blue green deck. <laughs> and they're all pretty much kind of counterspell and Uro and or in Blue Eyes case, Dream Trawler or Shark Typhoon. Mm-hmm. Just like c- control you early and then finish the game pretty quick. And Nivisit struggles more in those matchups because it relies very heavily on Teferi. Teferi and Uro are its like yeah. big hitters for those matchups. And I, I, I quite like I Oh, Soltai was the other one. Soltai's the other blue-green yeah. control deck. Yeah. But it plays a lot differently than the other three. It's a Thoughtseize deck. Yeah, it's a Thoughtseize kind of traverse deck sometimes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are playing it, especially since now you have Oath of Nyssa to have an extra type for Delirium. Yeah. And it gets you closer That's to your That's pretty Uro. cool, yeah. Yeah, and you get to play with the Planeswalkers too. I know it is pretty controversial, like whether or not you should be a traverse version of the deck. Yes. I tend towards <laughs> every traverse version of the deck I see, I think just looks like nonsense. <laughs> just honestly, it you have 
six one ofs of various cards that don't really do a whole lot, but they give you some options with traverse. But then other times you're just like traverse with it as a tune with aether mm-hmm. it's not as good it's not it's not good enough the only reason that i want traverse is so that i can have effectively more emrakles in my deck like that would be my only one of in a traverse sultai deck yeah and the delirium only pretty much matters for emrakul mm-hmm. specifically which is still a good card because mind slaving your opponent has been classically very good yes usually yeah, and, and especially in these, like, high card count matchups, if you're playing against Blue White or if you're playing against Niv-Mizzet, like, you can find some way to destroy them with their own cards. Yeah, the more cards your opponent has when you Mind Slayer for them, the deader they are. Yes. <laughs> you just, like, untap with your opponent's four-card hand, and they draw their fifth, and you're like, all right, I can really mess you up. Time to figure out how. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When you're, like, utter-ending their own things, like... Holding priority and countering, countering half their cards. Yeah. Yep. I I think that Emrakul is in a pretty reasonable spot here, and that is the main thing that would draw me towards a Traverse build. But there is a fundamental tension because you are an Uro deck, and there are times when you can't you like maybe shouldn't aggressively Uro as hard, but like that's one of the things that makes the deck good is just like I got some mana, I got cards in my graveyard, here's an Uro. I think the fact that this Sultai deck can turn for Uro so consistently, like from the graveyard, mm-hmm. Grizzly Salvage and Seder Wayfinder, is what makes it strong. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the decks, like this one that 5 would we're just looking at in the prelim, uh, play where they play those cards early with some interaction if they have it, mm-hmm. and then they can escape Uro on turn 4 or turn 5, and then just... Even though your cards, like Seder Refiner is not a, a haymaker, it's not an all-star, but because it's gotten you, you're a huge all-star, drawing extra copies of Seder Wayfinder to fuel Uro coming back is not the end of the world. Yeah. And you're just drawing interaction spells while your Uro takes over the game, as it always does. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen games where, like, you can sort of keep up with your opponent's Uro because a bunch of what they're drawing is stuff that is intended to enable Uro. Yeah, that, that does happen. Which is why I don't. I'm not in love with this specific list. It is neat that it has Pelucranos Unchained, so mm-hmm. another threat you can put from the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like a lot of these decks starting playing more Nisses because it's another just good threat. Doesn't have that much to use the mana with. Yeah, but making a bunch of three threes is fine. I've died to Nissa many times in Pioneer. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's it's just one of the best Planeswalkers possible. Yeah, Pelucranos is a weird one. I have often found. And, I mean, this I've more seen it in Standard than anything else. But, like, when I'm playing an Uro deck, and they're playing an Uro deck, and they've gone a little bit harder, and they have put Pelucranos into there, and then I reread it, and I'm like, oh, six other cards. And, like, that, like, one extra card is, like, too much a lot of the time. Yeah, I've never played against Pelucranos in Pioneer. Mm-hmm. I just see it in this list. It has to be there for a reason, I imagine, so you don't, like draw air when you have a row in play well, maybe it's because people keep slaughter gamesing their arrows oh that could be it that's that would be a weird call to make that, that's the backup win condition you want but you know sure i'd probably go with a nimrakul or something and yeah then maybe a grave digger to get it back but whatever floats your boat we are not seeing a ton of jace friends prodigies in a lot of these lists and I mean, I wonder if that's an artifact of more early removal running around. Um, I mean, there was like quite a bit when Inverter was a thing that had all these fatal pushes and eliminates anyways. 
but yeah, the Jace Friends prodigy does not seem to be super present in the lists that I've been seeing. No, now that you mention it, I haven't seen that many either. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just one of those cyclical things. Mm-hmm. People just try new stuff, and then their deck isn't as smooth, and then they put Jace back in it. That That's certainly possible. Um, the place where I really want Jace Friends Prodigy is... If we're going to make Torrential Gear Hulk Sublime Epiphany work, I really want a looter so I can get these extra six drops out of my hand when they're not good. Why would you want to get rid of your six drops? Those cards are so powerful. Once you have six mana, they're very powerful. Well, you really only need four mana and a Wilderness Reclamation. Okay, sure. <laughs> so you pretty much always have it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to give up your... I'm looking at this list from INF that went forward with the Pioneer Preliminary with the blue-green sublime gear hulk deck yes you don't want to give up like your your brazen borrowers for jaces <laughs> yeah i mean this certainly this version a pure simic version that rather than running a lot of interaction is running gross spirals and like i think those sensors are more in there to cycle than anything else. oh yeah for sure like i probably would cut a sensor just for 26 to land in this deck <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know but you know this is more of a gross spiral uro deck that it's just running some incidental, some counter spells, and it's just trying to like get to Wilderness Reclamation, Sublime Epiphany, Torrential Gear Hulk as quickly as possible. Because your game plan is get to that mana very quickly, I'm not, you know, I don't need a looter in this deck. If you wanted to build it more like a control deck where the Gear Hulk stuff is just your end game to go over the top of things with. At that point, I really want Jace or Teferi Master of Time or something to get rid of these things when they're not good. I do like Teferi Master of Time a lot. I wish I would see that more in Sultai decks, to mm-hmm. be honest, because that's a good way to get rid of your air while filling your graveyard and having a little bit of interaction. It's just all the Teferi things you wanted to do. Yeah. I want to see more of that card in Pioneer. I think it's a, a really good fit in Zoltai. Mostly because if you <laughs> if that card ever stays on... They have so many threats in their deck. You want, need to deal with Uro multiple times on the Soul Tie. Mm-hmm. And if you have a Teferi taking up while that's happening, they can just take two turns and you're probably dead after that. Yeah, It, it splits your focus in a way that's not very easy to deal with. Yeah. I'd be a little nervous because getting it Dreadboard is like pretty bad. That is true. Dreadboard is a factor now where it hasn't been for a lot of Pioneer. And I, I don't know how that exactly equates to the strategy. Yeah. Like, when Niv-Mizzet was running, like, a bunch of Abrupt Decays and even, like, a couple Assassin's Trophies, like, that's fine. I can get an Assassin's Trophy. But, like, the fact that they've kind of replaced a lot of those slots with Dreadbores is, I, I think, a little transformational to the types of fours you're willing to play. I Have you played any of Niv-Mizzet or Spirits? I wonder how that matchup goes out, because I want to... I kind of want to know who's on top, because I feel like the two strong decks, Mm -hmm. really strong decks in the format right now, and I I don't have enough experience with either deck to know... Wait, like in the Niv-Mizzet versus Spirits matchup? Yeah, like if... Because I feel like that'll be a big part of playing here. Yeah. I mean, my understanding is certainly that Spirits with a fine draw is ahead, I think Lofty Denial is just so crazy. That's what I would expect. And, uh, like, the way that I've seen it play out on a couple of streams, certainly seen it go both ways, but and I have not played it myself, but it has looked like the Niv-Mizzet deck has generally won when something bad has happened in the Spirits player's draw. 
like they miss their fourth land or something like that and then niv can win because it can like force through a teferi or whatever and but uh you know a lot of times just like here's a lord here's a lord here's a counter spell is like plenty yeah I, I think the same thing and if i didn't say it before that's why i prefer blue white spirits over advanced spirits mm-hmm. because i think the power of collective company while it's fine it lets you play the, the tempo game it's very strong and you resolve it uh, it adds so many little inconsistencies to the deck Especially, like, drawing your mana in the wrong order, or the colors are weird. Ban- like, shard mana continues to be pretty bad. <laughs> like, yeah, you've got Botanical Sanctum, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but, and Shocklands. Right. You don't have a Triome, even if you wanted it. Like, and, and because of that, you can stumble a lot easier in Bant. Or sometimes you just whiff on a Collective Company. You only put one creature into play, or two bad ones. Mm-hmm. And it's little things like that that makes it a lot worse in my eyes, especially when you need to be firing it off cylinders to beat the Nimizit deck, yeah, which is kind of the premier deck in Pioneer at this point. Right. Well, and I mean, it's it's kind of that you don't need to be firing on all cylinders. You just need to not right. misfire. Right, exactly. Your, your deck just needs to be, like, mostly functioning, and then your cards just are too efficient. So introducing like a i drew two collected companies and no green mana into the equation in an otherwise good matchup like seems not where not what i want to be doing especially given that and i am not remembering the name of this card but the 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 two mana guy that makes your stuff cheaper like performs that thing that lets you cast threats and keep up lofty denial and and that is pretty good it's it's like watcher of the spheres or something like that that's not a real card name that can't possibly be the card name. <laughs> it just like takes put sets some spheres on the table it's just like looking at them oh you my. can't just search for yes it is watcher of the spheres i'm so right <laughs> were you about to say you can't just search for watcher i was about to say wrong. you can't just search for watcher there's like <laughs> i can i can find the spheres like that i'm a good i'm a finder of the watcher of the spheres okay well but I am a knower of the name of Watcher of the Spheres. Yeah, so. now, well, now we both know the name. Yeah. So, should we talk about Amonkhet Remastered? Yes, but I want to say that the deck I played the most in Pioneer before we switched Oh, topics, yeah. Yeah, I played a bunch of field, uh, Lotus Field versions. Because mm-hmm. there's a, several online that have kind of been circulating. I played many of them. I played probably for like four or five hours on Saturday. And I've found them all to be bad. <laughs> I just not worth playing. Yeah, it just requires way too much to go right, and your opponent not to have stuff, or and your cards are just inherently weak. Sure. And without the huge, and you're so susceptible to disruption because you don't have Underworld Breach anymore. For sure. You can't just draw it and win the game. <laughs> yeah, and the Spirits matchup was bad before they had Lofty Denial. Oh yeah, it's it's horrendous. So <laughs> can't win. <laughs> I got very lucky one game where my opponent missed their second land drop. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. I won that one. Did you get you didn't get the match though? Oh no, Kevin's now. <laughs> I brought in my three mystical disputes, cast two of them and lost. No, yeah, mystical dispute is great when your other cards do stuff, but it was mostly to protect against spellqueller or lofty denial. Mm-hmm. But you you just can't do that when they have pressure and you don't. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Right, right. Yeah, it's fine mystical disputing them if at some point you're going to put an Uro into play. I didn't do that. Yeah. Though I did consider building a version with a bunch of Seder Wayfinders and Uro just to have 
AA game plan. I don't hate it. I mean, yeah, but then you're just a weird deck. You're like doing this half-baked Uro thing in your Lotus Field deck. Has weirdness ever made you not play a deck? That doesn't sound... No, it's, it's not bad. Weirdness is not bad in of itself. Mm-hmm. I just need it to make sense right. in it's context. A, it's a kind of incoherent deck. Right. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't play that deep to... I was losing too much. So I didn't go that deep mm-hmm. with it. I think I'm still like three games in a league or something. Yeah. At just probably not going to finish it. <laughs> I mean, I would be interested in trying a version with Uro as a plan. I, I think that, you know... If the regular stuff going heavy on it isn't quite working, then maybe this, like, you know, distract them with Uro plan and then eventually kill them with other stuff. The one problem I have with that is that the, one of the best ways to feel Uro is, of course, Lotus Field. Mm-hmm. But Lotus Field doesn't cast Uro with another land. Ooh. Because you have... It produces that is really awkward, yeah. And then you're for... You're, this is not a deck so that plays need, very many lands. You need Lotus Field and two lands right. to do it. And they both need to make... They either both need to make green or both need to make blue. Yes. Gotcha. And that's where I ended up before being like, nah, I'm not going to try that. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I mean, that makes sense. I get that. But... All right. We can, we can stop Pioneer now. I just wanted to, if anyone out there has figured out the Lotus Field deck, please tell me. <laughs> if you haven't, I would not suggest trying it. It's just, I couldn't make it work. Sure. All right. So I'm going to get remastered. Before we get to all the random cards that they have just sort of shoved into the set, uh, I do want to mention that Hour of Promise is in, it's going to be well, in Historic. It's in Hour of Devastation. And uh, that card got Field of the Dead, Band, and Pioneer, a significantly more powerful <laughs> format than Historic. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's true anymore. It feels like Historic just gets so many random cards added to it. Yeah. It might just be more powerful than Pioneer. I mean, yeah, Muxus, is, Muxus would be kind of crazy in Pioneer. Yeah, so. it would be. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't even know what goblins are legal in Pioneer. Well, I guess <laughs> if Muxus and if you got Gem Pum Incinerator, too. Yeah. yeah. Then, you can, then... You can, and Goblin Matron. Yes. <laughs> just all these random cards. Boy. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it is just more powerful. See, like, you just can't keep track I guess we are getting into the random additions in Amiket. Like, there's no way to keep track of what cards are in this format. Nope. It's standard from this period to this period, plus jumpstart, but not regular jumpstart, arena jumpstart. <laughs> yeah, arena jumpstart. Plus historic anthologies, which you can't find in the store or anything. It's really difficult They're to find not out listed what anywhere. was in. Yeah. Plus, not actual Amiket in Hour of Devastation. I'm going to get remastered, which is some of the cards from those. It's most of them. Most I think it's only missing like 15 or something. Okay. Relevant. But, but it's got a bunch of random stuff shoved into it, too. Yep. And I believe that Historic is still not listed on Gatherer. There's nope. the, the like, suspended list isn't, like, listed anywhere. I don't know where to find which cards are legal and banned in Historic. So I just can't find it. There's just kind of not a good way of like, you have to kind of know it, but it's so hard to know. There's no like, my brain easily shortcuts what is legal and modern. My brain easily shortcuts what is legal and standard. It's a little tougher in Pioneer just because I've, I, I'm kind of still not used to it. But at least like, if I think about it for a second, 
I can get it. Yeah, the only thing that trips me up in Pioneer is remembering which corsets are legal. Yes. Because I remember it's Return to Ravnica Forward, but I don't remember which corset that is. No Titans, no Lightning Bolt. Like, that's the main stuff. Yeah, it starts at Scavenging News, I think. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, so we are getting Hour of Promise, so watch out for a ban of Field of the Dead pretty quickly in historic i would assume i would be shocked if it lasted more than two weeks yeah and i hope they don't announce that they're banning it they just do it yeah i i it's just gonna have to go whether it is in a more dedicated ramp deck or in you know what we saw like sam black develop in pioneer which is just that you can play a regular old deck just with hour of promise and field of the dead in it and all of your other spells are interaction you can just turn every green deck into a field of the dead deck yeah. pretty easily with hour of promise right and our the hour of promise just ends up being a ton of zombies. Yeah, if you have any deserts at all, too. Yeah, that's true. And you, you can do desert stuff and just put like six zombies into play. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't even really need the deserts in the oh, deck. Oh no, of course not. Like, but they are differently named lands. Yep. That produce colored mana, <laughs> and sometimes give you zombies. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that that is just not going to be allowed to last. I I don't believe. Oh no. Let's talk about some of the random cards that are going in. So when Amonkhet remastered, people said there were going to be new additions to the set that weren't just in Amonkhet or Hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, okay, they're probably just going to throw in some invocations. And they kind of did that. Yeah. There's Thoughtseize and Wrath of God and Pact of Negation and Shatterstorm mm-hmm. and Lord of Extinction, I guess. All of those are Anger of the Gods too. All of those are, like, invocations, which makes sense, even if it's a little weird. At yeah. least those cards were actually in the set. You could open them in a booster pack of Amonkhet. Yeah, they're, they're related to it. Yeah. Kind if, of. If you want to artificially put cards into historic... Yeah, this isn't the craziest way of doing it. Yeah, it's not like figuring out what's in Jumpstart. Yeah. You just look at what the invocations for Amonkhet were. But they but... certainly couldn't put all of the invocations for Amonkhet. No. Some of those are not... Like, super not okay for historic. But... Blood Moon, Force of Will, Days. Yes. Days. <laughs> but then they just throw in a bunch of random cards from thin air, it seems. Yes. Uh, including Demonic Pact. I'll just read them all. Yeah. So there's Demonic Pact, Hornet Queen, Jace, Unraveler of Secrets. Honestly, this is the one that boggles me the most. <laughs> this is just straight up the worst Jace. Shadows of Rannerstraw Jace. Yeah. Like, the reason that you don't remember what this Jace does is because it doesn't do anything. It costs five mana and is worse than pretty much any of the playable four mana Planeswalkers we've had. I actually remember asking myself when this card was... This is a Shadows of Rannerstraw Jace, so it was legal with clues. Instead, it's plus one is scry one, draw a card. I was always wondered why it didn't just draw a card and then make a clue. Because <laughs> then it might be worth five mana. Yeah. You just get some cards that way. It's minus so bad. It's minus three for unsummon. Ugh. Not boomerang, unsummon. Ugh. Anyway, Jace somehow made the cut. Yes. We're, we're not we're not going to remember it's going to be in the set. It doesn't set. matter. There's just a million better Planeswalkers at five mana. You'll it's never worse play than this card. any of the Teferis that are still legal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like the mono blue one and the white blue one. <laughs> All right. There's Chandra Pyromaster. The forgotten Chandra because she's just worse than Chandra Torch of Defiance. Yeah, it used to be the good Chandra. Right. But then they printed a bunch more of them. Mm-hmm. This was like the jun- the original modern Jun Planeswalker, right? Yeah. Well, it was the first like good red Planeswalker, honestly. <laughs> yeah. 
This is, I think this is the first Planeswalker that had Chandra's uh, draw, card draw ability, too. Yeah, I think so. Then you got Sphinx's Revelation, classic Amonkhet card. Yeah. <laughs> wow, Sphinx's Revelation. Yeah, I guess it just deserved to be in the set. There are Sphinxes in Amonkhet, that makes sense. I don't know where Chandra and Jace came from, but whatever. I'm a little, honestly, in our, like, ramp format, I'm, like, pretty disturbed by Sphinx's Revelation. <laughs> I know it's, like, traditionally kind of a control card, but it's, like, real easy to cast Sphinx's Revelation for, like, seven or eight. Yeah, after you cast Tower of Promise and you have a bunch of zombies in play. Yeah, sure. If your opponent deals with that somehow, yeah. you and, can draw more cards. And another card that might be good in that deck is Wrath of God. Yep, Wrath of God, Thoughtseize Pact. Those are the, the invocation ones <laughs> that are in there. Uh, I like Rest in Peace. I actually do like this one. It's very random. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yes. Uh, but they gave it Amonkhet art. I think they're giving all these Amonkhet art or new art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think formats that have Rest in Peace in them are better than formats without Rest in Peace in them. Yeah. Because the graveyard is always the easiest place to go to do degenerate things. It just always is. Yeah, I'm never mad that Rest in Peace <laughs> is legal in a format. It no. is a problem solver. It is never a problem. Nope. So this is a good, an actual good edition. Mm-hmm. And it's got a nice... I think a new artist to magic did this. Okay. And it's gorgeous. It's got a mummy lying in a tomb. It is really good. Very Amonkhetish. Yeah, I like it. And then there's, where am I? Collected Company, Perilous, and Perilous Vault are kind of the last two. You missed Anger of the Gods, though, which... I I saw that earlier. Oh, did you? Okay, sure. Um, Yeah, Uh, I think... So, a bunch of really huge kind of, like, chaos mode additions to the format here. Yep. Uh, You know... Pack of Negation is like a small like chaos mode. If it does anything, it's doing something like pretty degenerate, probably. But certainly like Thoughtseize may just be the most powerful card in the format. Collected Company is just a crazy powerful card. Did we need another format with Collected Company? Like this I, I don't like Collected Company, I will admit that straight up. I just never found it engaging at all. Mm-hmm. And it just always seemed too good on rate, especially the lower in power your format got. Yeah, and I think it is, like, set up pretty easily. Like, it's clearly, like, playable in mono green in this format. Mm -hmm. Like, you just have great hits that will continue to be good. Like, Steel Leaf Champion is going to be a preeminent threat in this format because it doesn't get blocked by zombies. So you can just hit 8 to 10 power with your Collected Company pretty easily in that deck. And generally, Collected Company has been better in shells where you're getting tricky stuff rather than just muscle so there is some tricky stuff like baron is a pretty neat one just it is a mana war that bounces even planeswalkers too um but i don't know what other tricky stuff there is for like a bant coco sort of thing but you know collecting company dominated standard for the entire time for 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 especially like the latter half of its existence ever since vapor forged yeah and it is a card that they acknowledge that if they had an extra like ban cycle, they would have yeah, banned they would have it. Banned. If if this had been if Collected Company had been printed in twenty nineteen or whatever, mm-hmm. it would have certainly gotten banned. Yeah. So yeah, that's a pretty wild one, and probably we won't quite see it super thrive until Field of the Dead is gone. But oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and it does have some checks: Anger of the Gods and Wrath of God. The it's God Wraths. Traditionally, like, pretty good against Wrath of God, though. That's it's true. A, you, Instant speed rebuilder. Right. Yeah. You, you put six power guys into play, force them to Wrath, and step 
Coco. I just don't like... I, I like knowing what's in a format. Mm-hmm. And when I'm continuously surprised... Not that I'll be surprised by Collective Company or anything like that. But when someone plays Perilous Vault against me one game, they're just like, what? Why? What? Where did this come from? Well, of course, Amon kept remastered. I mean, that card's never going to be good against you, so... It doesn't matter. Like, eventually I'll play a random deck, and they'll wrath my board with an artifact that I just didn't see coming at all. Because they are playing blue-green. Yeah. I'm kind of hyped for Demonic Pact. You can play it with Yorion. <sighs> harmless Offerings and Eldritch Moon, right? Yes. That's There's no Harmless Offering. But I think you can just use this as a good, as a powerful value card. You can card. sacrifice it to Doom Foretold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that was a Pioneer deck for a, a period of time. Yeah, when Yorion was legal. <laughs> yeah. And I mean... Like, I think that probably you can do Doom Foretold, Demonic Pact, Yorion in uh, Historic. I bet that's a doable thing, depending on what other people are playing. Uh, yeah, and you get Thoughtseize too, which is huge. Yeah. Thoughtseize being in another format, kind of frustrating, but that's what the people want, I guess. Is it? I, apparently. <laughs> I think everyone actually just really likes Thoughtseize. Yeah, Just maybe. mostly because casting it outweighs it being cast upon. Hmm. I guess you feel better, you feel when it's improving your game that you know the three or four cards in their hand, you don't really feel as much when your opponent is playing a little better because they know the cards that are yeah. in your hand. It's really easy to see how the game is affected when you've cast lots of mm-hmm. and really much harder beyond the card that was just directly taken yeah. by you. It's why Jataxian Probe was so, so strong. Yeah, no, I, I was just thinking about Gitaxian Probe specifically. Like, that's why I just could not stand playing Legacy while it was legal, because my opponent always knew what cards were, like, it was so frustrating. Yeah, in Modern Infect, it was, you can just hold one until you wanted to kill them, then Gitaxian Probe them. Sometimes they got a counterspell, because <laughs> you just wanted them to not go for it. <laughs> and if they revealed your hand and they didn't have anything, right? okay. <laughs> Yeah, what a wild zero mana card. So I I would rather have Inquisition or Kozilek or something that just didn't take everything yeah. for very little cost. So you can build around its existence in the format or... Yeah, yeah. something that isn't so ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're using the Invocation art, so I finally get to play with that, I guess. <laughs> it, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. It's just a little annoying, I guess. At least... You know, every time I cast it or get it cast against me, I, I think about that story where I, I think it was in like one of the CFB testing houses preparing for a tournament or something. And somebody's significant other just heard them saying thoughtsies and thought that they were like asking for the the other person's thoughts about a play yeah. or something. What, what are your thoughtsies here? What are here? your thoughtsies? <laughs> and they thought it was really cute, which it would have been. So that's my main upside to having Thoughtseize cast against me, is that yeah. I think about that story. Let me let me see your Thoughtseize. <laughs> Wrath of God is such a weird one because it disallows regeneration, which... Oh, you're right. That is weird. I like, guess it's just because it was an invocation that they put it in. Yeah, I guess so. But it, like, they clearly moved away from that like just day of judgment replaced it completely and then obviously they even moved away from that being an okay effect and moved to shatter the sky which honestly like i man i love shatter the sky i like it too i love the design i think it's just perfect power level wrath total you know 
digression from what we're talking about but man like they knocked it out of the park with that one it's a really good one and it is weird because they haven't printed anything that references regeneration in a very long time no not unless it's like a commander reprint or something like that yeah and like very few things regenerate yeah but there's so many cards like just incinerate that would say you can't regenerate oh, yeah. regeneration was useless for like that period of magic because like every removal spell just didn't allow it yep you, regeneration was very good in combat and useless elsewhere yeah it's like thanks <laughs> and the way death touch worked at the time too made you have to regenerate twice oh because death touch was a triggered lethal, ability yeah, yeah it was not called death touch at the no, time no but even in lorwyn like mm-hmm. when it was or future sight in lorwyn it was still a triggered ability. It, it got changed in, like, I think the M10. It got changed when it got keyworded. It did not. Didn't it? No, in Lorwyn Limited, it triggered. And huh. I, I know that the elves in that set have Death Touch. Okay. Because I remember specifically having you had to regenerate twice. twice. <laughs> okay. This was a 3-3 for two mana in that set with Death Touch. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I guess you're right. But it, it is odd that they chose to reprint Wrath of God. I, it has to just be because it's an invocation and they had the art assets for it and it was, like in Amonkhet so they could justify it pretty easily mm-hmm. but honestly just like a commission in Amonkhet artwork for day of judgment if you want to do that they're not a single card in historic that regenerates right wow Unless it's in jumpstart <laughs> wow is there really not how that, could there be yeah it's just i guess it's just wild i just like there's more cards with phasing than there are regeneration <laughs> that's true <laughs> <laughs> There's just one, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. Is, is Oubliette on Historic now? No. <laughs> it's coming. It's in Double Masters, right? Is yeah, where we got double, it? It's in Double Masters. Okay. We're, we're just not going to be able to keep track of no, what's I in just Historic. No, I absolutely cannot. Especially when they come out with, like, Anthology 4 and 5. It's just going to be a bunch of random cards. I'm going to miss it in the store and just people will cast random... People, someone's going to cast Memory Dragon. I guess I've me. been, like encouraged now to buy the anthologies when they come out i didn't know that they would disappear so i was just gonna like pick them up if i needed them at some point well see i think your method was better because i did i bought all three anthologies when they came out Mm -hmm. i played with them very little yeah the anthologies mostly just suck right there's cycling lands thalia goblin matron meddling mage and and just like a bunch of kind of bad cards then you didn't like Rari's Wake was outclassed by four cards in standard. Just yeah, a, a bunch of better mana doublers. <laughs> yeah, and and it was kind of Ulamog outclassed by Agent of Treachery, pretty much. It is just kind of like that throughout. Like everything printed in 2020 is just better than everything in the anthologies. Yeah, you didn't want to play the Soul Sisters deck that they put God, into one of the no. anthologies. I am leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give. I'll probably play like two matches with an hour of promise deck just to feel something for a minute, and then I will, you know, put historic aside for a, until that that nonsense gets sorted out. Is the feeling going to be grumpy as you play the mirror and your opponent also has zombie tokens? Ooh, but I'm going to have a lot of massacre worms in my sideboard for the mirror. Ooh, okay, all right. That's some Evan Whitehouse technology. So. <laughs> I've been talking with him a fair bit about historic, so uh, he's. His his love for Massacre Worm versus Field of the Dead is, uh, I mean, I get it. It's a good feeling. Oh, I, I've died to Massacre Worm many times. <laughs> it's 
it's very satisfying when you kill someone with triggers. Yeah, I mean, and you don't have any control over those zombies. You know, all you can do is max your zombies and hope they get there. And if they got Masako Worm, they're not getting there. What if they have the anti-Masako Worm technology and Liliana's Mastery? To make them all three yeah, to make them three threes? <laughs> I that, guess, card, that card's an Amica, right? I guess you've been gotten then. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's the way you want to go. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> seems unlikely to me lord of the accursed it's got three toughness it'll survive gives gives zombies menace so you win in the heads up Mm. yeah i think you can probably find a better (laughs) breaker than that i think your breaker should not be assuming that they're going to massacre worm you and hoping to get a thing down first (laughs) but we won't know because it's only going to be legal for those two matches you play and then they're going to ban it i hope so that that had better be gone. I think they're pretty trigger happy nowadays, which I'm more or less thankful for because they've made so many mistakes. Yes. <laughs> like you, you can just make your bad mistakes. I've learned not to buy the cards right away. <laughs> just wait a week. Then it might get banned. Yep. Yep. <sighs> All right. Anything else for today? No, not for historic. Do you want to do a question or something? Yeah, we can look. For, we can look at questions. All right, for our Patreon question of the week, Shane asks, how do you define fun in a format? AKA, when do you find a format fun to play or not? For me, it's pretty simple. It's mostly if I have a deck I want to play and the decks I am playing against aren't all the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, Examples of this are even last Pioneer format where it was Inverter, etc., I thought that format was actually fun <laughs> because I really, really, really liked playing Lotus Breach, one of my favorite decks. Uh, it, the gameplay was very engaging for me. I got to do a lot of stuff. I played the games differently. Mm-hmm. And even though I was playing against the same decks every time, Inverter, Mono White, some various mid-range decks, I thought that the games were engaging and that a bunch of different stuff happened in them, even though it was not a healthy format i really did enjoy playing it Mm -hmm. i don't think the format as a whole was fun because people weren't playing it and that's kind of the right the nail in the coffin there but you had fun but i had fun Mm -hmm. and so the answer for with i what i enjoy a format is i one i have to like the deck i'm playing and then two i have to not get bored playing against my opponents sure so when they banned all of the combo cards in pioneer I played a bunch of Pioneer this past weekend. I did not have very much fun. Granted, I was trying out a bunch of different stuff. Sure. So, and losing a lot is kind of not fun. Um, No, it's not. It's not the worst, though. Mm-hmm. Because I actually give up more... Pl- like, if I'm just playing Arena, like Ladder or something, I find that I am more willing to keep playing if I'm enjoying myself and losing. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm just winning a bunch against whatever and just not really enjoying myself yeah like i last summer i played a bunch of nexus of fate in the summer on arena ladder Mm -hmm. and i played a bunch i won a bunch it was fun eventually and i almost never lost i had extremely (laughs) high win rate with that tech (laughs) but i just kept winning and eventually i just i had my fill you know i didn't want to play anymore yeah yeah and nothing my opponents did ever mattered yeah, and that's the way Nexus of Fate works. Yeah, so a fundamental problem with that. Deck. I didn't have, 
I didn't stop playing because I was losing and not having fun. I was actually not having fun winning either. Mm -hmm. So I just stopped playing then. Yeah. (laughs) Because there was no variety. That makes sense. Yeah. Which is why last weekend I played a bunch of Pioneer, played a bunch of different variations of Lotus Field decks. And I got to see what my opponents were all doing, which were also playing a new Pioneer format. So it was fun there. Mm -hmm. I lost a ton, but it wasn't the worst because I was learning. Yeah. And I don't know where to go from here. I really, really, really would have liked to play Kethis, but they banned that card unjustly. <laughs> so if there were a Pioneer tournament tomorrow that I'd have to play in, I have no idea if I would play in it. Sure. Because there's, I don't know if there's a deck I would enjoy, mm-hmm. and I'm not willing to play Niv-Mizzet Mirrors, or yeah. even really Niv-Mizzet at all. No, yeah, of course. That makes sense. Yeah, I would say my answer is like pretty similar. It's you know, I think this question, mostly I can only answer that a format is fun if I personally am having fun. That's a bad answer. I know, but but, <laughs> I, but I'm saying, like, to frame the question. Yeah. Like, I agree that you can only say, like, what is fun for you to play in. Like, I can't define, like, an objectively fun format. I can't say, like, this is a fun format. Yeah, this ev- is an unfun format. Everyone's different. Like, some people really enjoy Battle, or Zendikar, original Zendikar Limited, so people really hate it. Yeah. It's the same format for everyone. <laughs> right. Yeah, because, like, definitely some, like, kind of unhealthy formats I've had a bunch of fun playing in. Some of it, like, for different reasons, though. Like, I had a lot of fun playing... I've talked about, like, Team or Energy Standard a, a fair amount, but I put, like, legitimate... Like, not just work and practice into it, but I put, like, legitimate study into that format, trying to get as good at it as I could, including just, like, understanding the mirrors as best I could. And, like, yeah, it was a format where I played a standard tournament where I played the mirror in over half of my matches and was relieved every time I didn't play a mirror because I knew I would probably just win easily and only lost the mirror in an entire tournament. Like, it was a messed up format. But the satisfaction that I gained by, you know, my opponent would in a post-board game, like, play a long tusk cub. And I would know immediately, like, I'm going to win this match. Like, like having the understanding of the format and the understanding of the matchup and just, like, feeling totally in control because of the work that I had put in, like, that rewarding feeling was really fun to me. And especially because, like, it actually worked out the ways that I thought. Every time my opponent played a long tusk cub post-board, I won the match. And uh, I don't know, just like having my work rewarded created an element of fun to me where I, you know, it feels good to outplay your opponents. And I did a lot of it in that format. Yeah, that's certainly not going to create any sort of objectively fun format. And that is an almost zero sum sort of fun because I know a lot of a lot of the people playing Team Energy who didn't have time to put in that level of study or whatever like you're not gonna have fun it's gonna be a shitty format so i will say for that like me personally for that format specifically i did really enjoy playing team or energy but only for like two tournaments Mm -hmm. because after a while it didn't matter that the games were very fun the games were just two the same sure yeah it took me several tournaments to get good at it too like my first couple of tournaments playing team or energy mirrors i was getting outplayed and it was it felt bad and so then i 
was like, I got to sit down and I got to do something different. I can't just be playing my cards against my opponent's cards. I need to understand what's going on here. And I, you know, did research, read articles, read posts, played matches, and got there eventually. I think that component, I'm sorry to piggyback on no, your answer, good. but that, I think that component of mastery, like being able to enjoy the deck you're playing and have a level of learning with it that expands how well you do in the games is very, very rewarding and fun. Mm-hmm. And that can make the format fun, I even if it's just objectively not good, not yeah. healthy. Yeah. And I think Cobblade had a lot of that. I think Teamer Energy had a lot of that. And I think Inverter had a lot of that, which is why people really liked those formats, even though they're just objectively bad. Right. And a lot of people hated them. Like, and everybody, nobody's wrong to, like, love the matches they're playing or hate having to play Inverter Mirrors. Like... Yeah, it, it's just like kind of what you're trying to get out of stuff. And I would not have loved having to show up with Inverter and like playing against Edgar in the mirror around one. Like that would have sucked. Yep. I mean, I just would have gotten beat up. Yeah, like another format that I found really fun was pretty much any modern format where I was allowed to play Phoenix. Sure. Like I, and I think it really does go back to that like mastery thing. At, at some point, I understood not only like like certainly i would make mistakes all the time and i you know lost matchups that i should have won because i would screw up in game and stuff but my deck building at some point with phoenix became really intuitive and it was easy for me to look at a metagame figure out what the slots in my deck were supposed to be and come up with a really good build for the weekend and that was a super good feeling and every time I won a match, I felt like I had earned it because I had, you know, built my deck. That matchup was part of my calculations and I knew what to do. And my, you know, by the time that I felt that I was kind of an expert with Modern Phoenix, like I, my sideboard plans were like super fleshed out and I understood what every card was for. And I understood the purposes of like, when do you put a second ceremonious rejection in your sideboard? When do you want Spell Pierce? Like... And that level of like being rewarded for figuring out the answers to those questions. Not that I was always getting them right, but I felt like I was getting them right way more than I would ever be able to put the time into a standard deck or something. So that was, I loved that. Do you have to change the questions to Smidgen? We've only talked about Constructed. Yeah. Do you have like favorite limited formats? What makes limited formats fun to you? Oh yeah, I think that's a lot. To me, that is significantly more like maybe not objective, but like generalized than, you know, cause my, my, like, this is a fun construction constructed format is more like, I have a deck that I really like and I know how to play super well. Uh, although I guess some limited formats are kind of like that. Like I loved Dominaria because I, one of the big reasons is I loved playing the green decks that were a bunch of different colors and had a lot of legends or whatever. Sure. I, I like Dominaria a lot, but for different reasons. I liked playing the wizard decks a lot. Mm-hmm. Or the blue-black decks. Sure. Like the, the value grindy decks. Yeah, yeah. Those were my favorite decks before, and I thought that format was incredible. Yeah. I I loved playing the vicious offering decks is, is like, what I loved doing. But, I, you know, the but another reason the format was good is because I did know those decks and was happy to draft them when they were open and stuff. I just had a tendency towards the green, towards, you know, grow from the ashes and stuff is, is a lot of what I liked to do in that format. 
so that is part of it is like having a deck that i like that's sort of my like default go-to with like cards that i rank a little bit high like rank a little higher than they actually are but i think for a limited format more than a constructive format for me to have fun with it it does need to be balanced between several archetypes that are all like pretty decent like i'm never gonna have fun in a limited format where like it is like clear that i need to be in red and the other colors are like a lot worse and even though draft is kind of self-correcting like all it takes is one or two people at the table that don't really understand that for it to get really lopsided Mm -hmm. and so i don't you know it it is harder for me to enjoy a limited format that is badly balanced than it is for me to enjoy a constructive format that is badly balanced well i think most limited formats have one color that is a lot worse than the others Mm -hmm. is it I, I know it's much worse to me when, like, red is the clear best color, but it's not that bad if white is kind of unplayable. <laughs> yeah, I agree that is right. And that's why I used, like, if one color is way better as my example. But there is an extent. Like, Battle for Zendikar is, like, probably my least favorite limited format of all time. Okay. Because there's four colors. No green. Green is just completely <laughs> unplayable. And, you know, it had other problems, too. Like, it was a lot of just boring cards, and kind of everything was expensive, and just kind of sucked. You know, my least favorite draft format hmm. is kind of the opposite of Battle for Zendikar. It's Avacyn Restored. It is a terrible draft format. It's horrible. But it has exactly the opposite problems that Battle for Zendikar mm-hmm. has. There, there's not a lot of expensive cards in Avacyn Restored. They're not clunky they're very, really heavy synergy-driven cards. And there's no way to break them apart. <laughs> and there's no way to get rid of it. <laughs> uh, the most frustrating games I've ever had in Limited is when my opponents in Avacyn Restored Draft have just played the modern red human creation aggro attack you to death mm-hmm. thing. Because there's a... I don't remember what the card's called at this point. Uh, Thatcher's Revolt? Thatcher's Revolt, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just like a highlight card of, I never want to see this in a draft ever. Yeah, it's an F-minus card, but it's crazy in that deck. Because it's just so synergy-driven and it's so tempo-based, uh, one of the best cards in that format is Mist Raven, which is just a mana war. Because mm-hmm. you can you never have enough time to come back from a just mana war. <laughs> On your, right, right. On anything. Yeah. <laughs> but especially like if it breaks up a soul bond pair, yeah. then like yeah and i don't i honestly don't remember if the colors are badly balanced in that format i can say i've played maybe two avas under sword drafts i maybe three i just really did not like that format. yeah no it was just really really atrocious yeah and like the green soul bond guys were just completely crazy like yes. plus two plus two to both of them you just and you have no way of killing the one so you just die to them some of the rare soul bond creatures like dead eye navigator are just unbeatable yeah <laughs> wolf ear silver heart yep <laughs> Yeah, that was... I, I agree. Like, certainly one of the worst draft formats of all time. But my my favorite draft formats are... I don't know if a color being too strong factors in. Because, like, my favorite draft formats are, like, Alara block. I really liked uh, Triple Alara mm-hmm. more than any other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like Besieged Scars Scars. Uh, just, like, bunch of Haymakers. I, I kind of like draft environments separately based on what they do i just like for there to be variety in what you can do yeah and play against <laughs> and 
scars tried triple scars i played a lot of but it was just not a good for draft format i didn't like it very much because what tended to happen in that format is that you got into these huge board stalls and it was very difficult to break them up mm-hmm. without a bomb rare yeah and there were a lot of bomb rares in that format a lot of colorless bomb rares yeah so it wasn't that big of a f- issue, but it did. It made the game feel like you just stalled out every single game until, until someone, someone drew their rare. rare. Yeah, and then, but I really one of my favorite draft forms of all time is Besieged Scar Scars, mm-hmm. and it still has that kind of dynamic, but because there's so many more cards with Infect in Besieged and a lot more interaction in between it, okay, the boards they don't stall half as much. Mm-hmm. You still have this problem, uh, air quotes problem. Where everyone has like four bombs in their limited deck. Right. Because that form was just so bomb heavy. But your clock is ticking. Yeah, you have so... There's so much to do and the bombs line up against each other fairly evenly. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of becomes like a very low-powered cube format to me. Sure. Where you're just like jamming a bunch of very cool cards. Yeah. And I really like that feeling. I want to play some Double Masters and check that out a little bit. I've seen a little bit, but certainly not enough to get a feel for the format. But it looks... The fact that there's two rares in every pack makes yeah, it look I, pretty I powerful. I love that, actually. Yeah. I, I think I floated this idea to you just like in a chat one day. Mm-hmm. Just like, what if we just make a cube that has just like a normal set, but we have two rares in a pack? So that every you get to rare draft, and then the person next to you rare drafts, and then your, your set's just artificially stronger, mm-hmm. but in a balanced environment. Yeah. And then they just like announced it like a month later. I felt <laughs> so smart. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like... You know, it kind of looks like it pays off. Like, these these decks that I've seen do look, like, very powerful, but in kind of interesting ways. And you can draft Tron. Yeah. I mean, you could draft Tron in, like, Master's Edition 3 or something, right. and it was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. I Tron seems, like, just reasonable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because, like, in Limited, like, you have to mess up your mana base in order to... Like, there's a real cost to it. You don't have a bunch yeah. of bubbles or anything. I saw Sigrist post uh, getting the Surge Node, Everflowing Chalice... Yeah. Uh, Co- Cogwork Assembler? I saw... I combo. saw... I saw Numont doing that on stream, yeah. And you just, like, assemble random infinites with a bunch of clunky artifacts. Yeah, Numont had... Corridor monitor. So yeah, that's un- the one. That's untapped what I was missing. Untapped Everflowing yeah. Chalice. And I think he had like Grand Architect too. So he was... Ooh, Grand like, Architect. That's a good one. Making mana on each cycle. Uh, and it also allowed him to not have to make quite as many Corridor monitors because they had an extra power. I think I saw uh, Caleb get the Thopter Sword Grand Architect combo. Ooh. So you're like bur- budget Wurza. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm going to have to play this format a little bit. It seems like it has some ingredients that have traditionally made me really like formats, so. I know they're not going to ever, but I would like for them to just do two rares in a pack from now on. (laughs) Because this format looks really fun, and I think that's a part of it. Yeah. Hmm. It's just a pipe dream. It'll never happen. No. Well, I mean... I don't know, like, there might be some version of their special boosters that just have, like, two rares in them, but are, like, kind of normal-ish boosters, and then you can pay a bunch of money in order to do a special draft like that. I'm not for paying a bu- Wizards a bunch of money to, like, experience something once. I'm not in for paying Wizards a bunch of money, generally, at this point. Alright, that's fair. Anyways, we we went a little bit afield from that question. But we defined fun, right? Yeah, totally. Everybody knows exactly what fun is at this point. Nobody ever needs to revisit that question. All right, so no more fun questions, only unfun ones. Only serious questions. (laughs) 
Yeah. Thanks everybody so much for listening. We super, super appreciate your time. Uh, if you'd like to find us online, you can find our website, uh, mtggrindcast.com. You can find us on social media. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. At Lee McLeo. Uh, if you want to catch our coverage, we have the Legacy Manitrators tournament coming up at the end of the month. So that is August 29th. August 29th and the 30th. Uh, if you would like to sign up for Manitrators, you can use our code. Just use the code TOURNAMENT and that gives us, gives us a little kickback. So we would appreciate that. If you need a Manitrators account, I don't think I have anything else to plug. I think that's it. Yeah, I'm good. Great. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Bye.